Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Shelly. And joined with me today is the world traveler, Mr. Serge Boudreaux. Serge, I understand that you braved traveling across the border into the U.S. this week. Talk to me about that. What was it like? We talk a lot about the labor shortage and what's going on in the market. And it's really tough to assess when you're basically in your basement all the time. So (laughs) That's true. This is my first foray in the real world. And I'll tell you, it was was a shock. There's a couple of things that I I was really amazed. So going into the airports, obviously the Canadian airport was a lot less busy than the American airport. A Canadian was pretty fluid. There was people, but you didn't really notice a major difference. It was fairly smooth across the board. Mm -hmm. Then you get in the US, it's like a completely different world. First of all, there's tons of people. The airports are jammed everywhere. Really? But you know what was really interesting is seeing like, so the Starbucks and the McDonald's, the car rental places. When we talk about labor shortage, you see it firsthand. I was at a Starbucks and I didn't go because I'm not going to wait hours for a coffee. There was literally one person working, taking the order, then going and making your triple latte mochaccino with ice on the side with soy milk. We're talking about lineups of 50 to 100 people. And similar with the McDonald's, the car rental places, multiple lineups of 100 people and one person working at the counter Everywhere you went. So the hotel, they don't actually clean your room every day if you stay multiple days because they don't have enough cleaners. So basically, I was there three days. I never had housekeeping or or anything show up. Really put everything in perspective of how hard it is to hire people. So share Uh, with us, where were you again? So I was in Detroit. I flew from... Calgary to Toronto, then Toronto to Detroit. The Toronto airport was a lot busier, but fairly smooth. But same thing. At the Toronto airport, there was just one Starbucks worker with massive lineups, very similar um, Mm -hmm. to what I saw in the U.S., Then coming back, I flew through Dallas, then Dallas to Calgary. And what was interesting, so there's mask mandate in the airports. Who is actually wearing the mask under maybe 30%? They all have it on their chin, especially the teenagers, which drove me insane. In the airplane, there was probably like 40 teenagers and they all walk in with their mask under chin. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You feel that there's less risk to you. But there is risk to a lot of people, and we do not want to keep spreading this because the numbers are going up dramatically in the U.S., and they are in Canada as well. We're seeing an uptick. A lot with the unvaccinated and whatever you think about that, I'll let you make your own decision. But at the end of the day, it is a pandemic. It's not over. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of months overall with the labor market as a lot of those uh, different areas are stopping their employment assistance in different states. There is a feeling with executives that the minute that those stop, they're going to get an influx of workers. And I think me and you, Shelly, know that is not the case at all. It's not going to make a dramatic difference. The impact is real. People do not want to go work at these jobs anymore. And and part of it is when COVID hit, they got the opportunity to retrain, reskill, and they don't want to work 
shifts that they don't know what the shifts are going to be. There's no consistency. Obviously, the pay is very low. So I don't know. How are you feeling about that? Wow. I'm listening intently because as much as I wanted to take a vacation, we've talked about it before. I have family in the US and I haven't seen anybody in gosh, now a few years, but I'm really leery. And so I was really eager to hear what your experience was. Tell me, what was it like? Because I know you have to be tested to come back into the country. What was that like for you? We talked last week about Stampede and how you could be rapid tested and allowed into the venues that had live uh, music, but they did rapid testing if you weren't double vaccinated. Do they offer rapid tests at the airport? Like, how does that work? Leaving Canada, you do need to do a rapid test, which was fairly easily. Uh, it's the antigen test. To get in the U.S., it's fairly straightforward. You get your test. You okay. show it before you board your flight. When you get in the U.S., it's a little bit of a different situation because I, I guess it depends state by state. So to get back in Canada, you do need uh, a molecular test. I'm not a molecular test. <laughs> That's where the French comes in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Say it to, in French. That's okay. We'll get what Yeah, exactly. So yeah. when you come in, and that test is hard to get. I had to call different places, eventually no. got someone, because I was there for a short layover, right? Mm-hmm. Like him and Sunday was leaving Wednesday. So I had to get tested Monday to even have a chance to leave on Wednesday. Come on. So I did the test at like a CVS pharmacy. My flight was leaving at six. I was leaving for the airport at four. I got my test back at 3.30 a.m. A.m. Oh, my God. So 30 minutes before I was leaving, I was panicking because if not, I would have changed all my flights because they don't allow you to get back on board. They check before you leave that you have all the proper documentation. You're all set up. So I would have been screwed because just rescheduling flights, getting I would have been there for a couple of days. So my advice wow. to you, Shelly, don't risk it because what happens if you get sick in the U.S.? You are now quarantined in the U.S. for 14 days in a hotel or whatever you decide that mm-hmm. you can actually quarantine yourself. And what happens if you do get sick? I had travel health insurance, but if you don't, you're looking on average like fifteen to $20,000 a day if you need to go to the hospital without insurance. Can you afford that? So the risk to me is, wow. is too big. I will wait. I'm glad I did. Well, I'm not glad I did, but I think it was a fruitful business travel. But thinking about it and the hassle and the stress and just the airport, maybe I'm too cautious with COVID. But the last thing, I have three kids under 12 that are not vaccinated, so I do not want to risk any of my kids. So oh, I wow. probably wouldn't do it again. I wouldn't recommend for leisure traveling into the US right now. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Thanks for that. I think that's really good advice. Wow. Okay. Let's move on to some topics here because we've got a couple, mm. three things that we wanted to share with the audience today. We're going to start with talking about recruiter workload in 2021. You and I have both been in the industry for, we're saying more than 20 years. <laughs> And would always be on top of who's hiring, how many companies are hiring, that sort of thing. So we've seen a lot of economic cycles as well. And so let's talk a little bit about what's happening in 2021. The other thing I wanted to talk about, Google is now pushing back their dates. They're the first giant tech firm to require vaccination of their employees before they return to work. So interesting. Let's talk a bit about that. 
And then the third thing is some really interesting stuff that's happening in the recruitment technology space. And so we're going to talk about some acquisitions. We're going to talk about some big players that have had the deck chairs shifted in the executive suite. And then one of our favorite technologies, they've had a, a big announcement today. Let's come back to topic one. And let's talk about recruiter workload. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about background here on when we look back to even 12 months ago, what was happening within organizations. And so we actually have some research that confirms what we know and felt was happening in the market. The fact is that 46% of companies laid off their talent acquisition teams. And I remember you and I talked about it. Do you remember what we were saying was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be interesting. When they were eliminating specialist roles, they were eliminating managers and really cutting right back to the bone. And and so here we are today. And the research is now coming back to say, you guys are being crushed out there. So for all of our talent acquisition practitioners we hear you, man. Like it, this is the research and the data that confirms. I know it's no consolation to say, we know you're not alone, but we are talking that most talent acquisition people are experiencing a 30% increase in just the requisitions alone since 2020. Serge, what do you think the unintended consequence or the consequence itself of piling that much work on top of somebody? Well, I think companies have no choice. Coming out of the pandemic or wherever we're at, a lot of companies need to start hiring. That's their first initial investment. They they know where the market is going. The demand is there. But as we talked about when they laid off a lot of these recruiters, like recruiters are the canary in the coal mine in mm, a sense. You've always that said that. Yep. They're always the first mm-hmm. to get laid off, but they're also the first when it comes to get busy. Hey, we need to hire recruiters. What's interesting, and I talk a lot about the tech space, how tough it is to get software developers. There is actually 30% more postings across North America for recruiters than there is for software developers. So the demand in the market for recruiters is is Mm -hmm. very high. So if you can't hire recruiters, you still need to hire. So the workload has just been spread around these recruiters that instead of having 20 recs, they have 50, they have 60, they have 40, depending Mm -hmm. on the type of volume, the type of roles you do. So they're really in a tough position and it's creating recruiter burnout for sure. There's tons of pressure. The other thing I think that's causing that pressure is it's affecting sales directly. Talent acquisition right now is in a weird space that the CEO is directly involved to see what's going on in talent acquisition because they're not meeting revenue goals because they don't have the people. So now there's tons of interest, but these recruiters are still dealing with double, triple the volume they used to And it's just causing an insane amount of work. I feel bad for tons of recruiters that need to deliver without the resources that is needed. So tell me, Serge, in your experience, because you and I have been through, as I mentioned a moment ago, some pretty roller coaster economic changes in our local market, in in our um, economy. Have you ever seen this level of interest before at the CEO level? I know we've always been knocking on the door and saying, listen to us, please. We need tools. Like, 
you, you give us 60 recs and you give us crayons and string. So I know for me, I've never seen the interest level at the CEO level like this ever before. Have you? I know. I, I was going to ask you exactly the same question. Oh, okay. I've never seen so much interest, but have you seen it? I've never seen it. No, no. Certainly I've seen it where it's escalated to a board level for maybe one particular skill set. Mm-hmm. I did spend some time in something I really love doing is strategic workforce planning. That is to say, what are the skills that certainly over the next five years are not going to be replaced by any sort of technology? And do we have enough people now to fill those roles in five years from now, or even 10 years from now? And what do we need to do today to ensure that we have those skills? Then it is usually if there is a severe shortage, it's escalated to the board, it's put on the risk registry for the organization. And there needs to be usually just a special program or project, but never across the board like this, whether it's finance, IT, administration, marketing, and sales. I've never seen it before. I well, never have. the good news is the CEOs are willing to spend money now to fix this issue. The challenge is... So I can go out and there's so many great tools in the HR tech and talent acquisition tech space that could definitely help me. What the concern is though, it takes time and effort to be Mm. able to execute and implement those tools that recruiters and recruiting teams just don't have the time to be able to do. So there's one positive side is you need money. Here you go. You want to hire more people. We know how difficult it is to hire good recruiters right now. And they just don't have the resource to implement new tools that maybe a years, two years ago. Hence the reason when we started this podcast, one of the advice that we both gave to recruiters and talent acquisition managers, this is the time to implement your new tools, your process, your systems. But unfortunately, you couldn't get the budget to do it back then. And now mm-hmm. no one is ready for this influx of roles. And this is going to happen mm-hmm. for the next couple of years. We're going to be under this constant pressure. We're going through a work situation that we've never seen before. Of Like the whole dynamic of work has changed with the pandemic, mm-hmm. but also with just natural occurrence. I think the one thing that I know for sure that technology can so easily solve. And it was part of this aptitude research and talent board on the candidate experience. Part of that research study said part of what's crushing the the recruiters and why there's so much burnout is they're spending on average 16 hours a week scheduling. Oh my God, give them some tools for God's sakes give them a scheduling tool. But you're right. It means if you're going to ask your recruiters who are your transactional people trying to fill these roles to stop, put that down for a second. Let's implement some tools so we can pick this back up. Or quite honestly, I know even just looking at, and I'm not in the job market at per se to say that I would actively look at any job postings, but as LinkedIn will feed you job postings. I have never seen so many jobs getting pushed to me for very senior, like talent acquisition strategist and manager. And I I know there's more than a dozen just in our city, the Mm. demand for people who understand how to implement the strategy. Um, What's your advice, Shelley, to recruiters that are going through this burnout? You need to speak up. And if you need to find a champion. First of all, I know if I were in 
corporate recruiting role, I would be having really good conversations with the leaders that have the biggest hiring demand. So say that's your operational leaders and telling them the reality that it's, it is physically impossible for someone to manage 50 recs because you're no longer recruiting. You are now a recruitment administrator. So you're not effective. You cannot spend 10 hours a week trying to find candidates in the applicant tracking system when you've got 60 recs on your desk. So I would get them to champion to their senior leadership that we need some tools over here. We need someone to to do that. And I see that happening because companies are posting and trying to recruit senior talent acquisition managers, directors. Obviously, some recruiters have voiced that enough that their company is listening. And you're right, the CEO level of interest where it's okay, and we're going to open up the wallet here. The problem is nobody wants that job. (laughs) Even when you look at the posting search, you'll notice That when you read those bullet points, somewhere in there, even if they're calling for a manager of strategic recruitment and recruitment technology, somewhere embedded in that job posting is the fact that they expect you to do full cycle recruiting. And what that tells me is HR wrote the jobs back because they still see you as transactional. My word of advice to those of us who are in senior, skilled, and the very fact that you're listening to a podcast to get information about what's happening in our industry, make sure you're watching for that and run the other way. Because if HR wrote the job posting and they're asking you to actually do the transactional work, they will pull your arms off and you'll never really get to solve problems. How do you feel, Serge? Am I on the right track? You are on the right track. And just for recruiters that are working in corporate or even staffing, but targeted, say, to corporate here, do what you can. And what I mean by that is the expectation of you working 60, 80 hours to fill roles because the company did not plan right, it's not your issue. Do not burn yourself. Do not lose your relationships outside of work based on poor planning from a company you work with. There is tons of other recruiter jobs out there. That's the benefit. You could get hired anywhere else. Go work where someone respects the work you do, gives you a balanced workload that you can effectively be successful with. If your company is not willing to do that, believe me, if you get injured, you get sick, they will replace you really quickly. Let's not go there. Well, oh well, I think so about it. Like, I know, think about but, the big picture. I know. I'm not saying you're going to die over work, and that's not mm-hmm. what I'm saying. But to give you the idea, you if you die, they will replace you in a month. So do not kill yourself over a job and work 80, 100 hours for a company that doesn't respect or value the work you're doing. When COVID hit, the mm-hmm. recruiters were the first one to get laid off. Do they care about you? No. So maybe I'm being too anti-corporate here in that sense, but take care of yourself is is my message there. That's a great message because our talent acquisition community, there's opportunity that we've not seen certainly in the last 15 years. So if it's time to make a change, just like everyone else, find an employer that will value what you do. And they don't see you as a necessary evil. Yeah, word to all the corporate 
and staffing agencies out there that aren't treating their people well. Let's move on to the next one here. This was an article that came out just a couple days ago, actually, that talked about the fact that Google had originally said that they were going to require employees back in person to work. They've now changed their tune and they are the first large, like 140,000 full-time employees (laughs) with Google. They are the first to say that they are going to mandate employees must be vaccinated. So with that, the CEO did say that they were going to move back their return to in-person to October 18th. They'd originally said it was going to be in September. They did. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that? Um, I think what we'll be watching for is to see if Apple or Amazon are going to follow suit. Nobody has this figured out, but for, for Google as an organization, I know we've always felt like they've got the most expensive real estate in the world. And I don't think they're going to be able to get out of their leases or sell the building. That's for sure. So they do want people to come back into the office. I would hazard a guess that they are going to relax their requirements even more. How do you feel about having to be vaccinated before they can come into the office? Wow, that's a bold move. And this was only applying to the US offices, by the way, the requirements only applied to to those. But other regions, the quote was in the coming months, they will require other regions. I think it's a smart move. Can you imagine why would you risk coming? That's, I think, one of the big concerns about why people are hesitating to come back in person is there's no way to tell by looking at someone if they're vaccinated or not. So if I have hesitation to come back and you're forcing me to return to in-person, maybe I'm going to start looking for another job. So I think it's a smart move. I do. Yeah, I know there's a lot of controversy about being vaccinated and non-vaccinated, especially in the U.S. It's very political in that sense. But in reality, health and safety of people is critical. And we know the facts show that if you're vaccinated, your risks are dramatically lower. Either way, you believe it or not, but the science is there. 99% of the people that are in hospital are unvaccinated. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to go work in an office, I do not want to risk people that can't get vaccinated in my family, some of my kids, sometimes an elderly person that you're taking care of, any mm-hmm. any past history that you can't. So I think it's smart as well. I think they're going to get a lot of pushback. But in reality, the company's got to do right when it comes to the health and safety of the people that work in the office. It'll be interesting. Google is to work at Google is is a lot of people's dreams jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's going to be hesitancy for these people to quit these jobs if they're forced into an office compared to pretty much every other company outside of who you mentioned, Apple. I think Amazon is a little bit different. If you're forcing people to come in the office, and it's funny because when we talk about recruiter TikTok, and there is so many videos of people saying, oh, I'm forced to go in the office, and they're like, screw it, I quit, especially with how the economy and how many jobs are out there. So companies, I think Google is getting tons of pushback from their employees, hence the reason that they're pushing it back. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this so many times, so I don't want to belabor it. People have become comfortable working from home, they feel they're more efficient, they have better work life Mm -hmm. balance. So the thought of going into an office just doesn't resonate. I'll tell you this, 
I will not go work in a company that would force me to go work in an office every day. Absolutely no way. You couldn't pay me enough. You could pay me double what I make now. And I just wouldn't do it because my lifestyle has changed. What's important to me has changed. I don't want to go in the office every day and put myself at risk health wise, but also I'm not as efficient at the office. Mm-hmm. It's about valuing your time. I agree. So exactly. tell our audience a bit about some of these acquisitions that we're seeing. Start with Pandologic. And so for those who yeah. aren't familiar with Pandologic, could you just give like a 30 second, who is Pandologic and what do they do? And why should we care about this acquisition? I want to talk about a couple of friends of the shows that have recently either been acquired or got additional funding. Uh, mm-hmm. So Terry Baker, the CEO of Pandologic, was on our show a month ago. Pendologic plays in the programmatic advertising space mm-hmm. um, in talent acquisition, their focus. So AppCast is probably the biggest player. There's Jovio. Pendologic is definitely one of the big players and one of the only ones that did not get acquired in 2019. Mm. But recently, what's interesting about this acquisition, so they got purchased by Veritone, which is a firm completely out of our industry and they got acquired for $150 million. And the deal is close at the end of Q3. So pretty good deal Mm -hmm. overall. We asked specifically that question to Terry when he was on the show, why haven't you been acquired? And I think he was looking for the right time, but in reality, I think he was looking for the right money because Appcast got acquired for 80 millions and I'm sure they're regretting that right now because I think they could have got probably double or triple if they had waited just a little bit longer. I think we're going to see that a lot more companies outside of the HR tech or the HR industry is seeing how much money is being spent in this space and they're like we need to get in and this is exactly what Veritone did. Veritone I didn't even know who they were before I saw this acquisition. And first of all, when I saw it, I'm like, who is Veritone? Are they like a big talent acquisition player in overseas or a market that I'm not aware? No, they're not. It's their first foray in this space. Programmatic is really killing it in the U.S., as we've talked about, has not made a dramatic impact in Canada as of yet, because in reality, there's only one big player in Canada. Indeed is dominating 80% of the market. But even if you're only using Indeed, programmatic will maximize the budget that you're doing. So you should be looking at programmatic in Canada, even though there's less players. What was your thoughts, Shelley, on this acquisition? So I was surprised that it wasn't like their core business, Veritone's core business is not recruitment tech. And I don't, I'd never heard of them as well. Uh, So to be acquired by somebody outside our space, I'm just dying to see what they're going to do with the organization and and how they're going to maybe blend their technologies. There's got to be synergy there. We'll see in the, certainly in the coming months, how that's going to work out. I don't have much of an opinion at this point. But I did like you figure it was pretty cool. Talk a bit about Career Builder. What do you think's going on there? They've got a new CEO. I believe it's a woman, correct? Well, it was a woman replacing a woman. So Career Builder has been a dumpster fire for as long as we've known <laughs> it. I have not seen a company in this space fuck it up more than Career Builder has. Like even more than Monster in reality, because Career Builder had a massive opportunity to really dominate the market as Monster was going down. They made every bad decision in the space to get them to the point where they were. And that includes 
the CEO that was just replaced. So the old CEO was Irina Novelsky. The new CEO is Susan Archer. Irene has been there for around three years. She has tried multiple things, but does not understand the space. And everything that she's putting in place has been has been a, a complete shit show. And they are finally making a change, I think, two years too late. I don't see any way out for Career Builder. I think they've got to be in a position that the brand is still noticeable, but who goes in Career Builder to look for jobs now anyways? I'd be curious if there's any listeners that Career Builder is still a tool they use because Career Builder has been irrelevant to me for, I don't know, 10 years. I was uh, just going to say, I think about 10 years ago was the last time I think I even heard anybody bring them up. I remember going to work for a company and I was asking, okay, what are your main sourcing tools? How are you getting your candidates? They say career builder. And I just laughed in the interview. I'm like, like that career builder is your number one place that you're spending money to recruit. No wonder that you're having such a hard time. It's got to be in a position that Susan, who I don't know, but has been in this industry in different types of roles, is coming in to really either set up the company to get acquired. It's really interesting. So Telview just, it was dropped this morning. It's breaking news. <laughs> just got $15 million in Series B funding. I think it's a good move by the company. Love the technology as well. Every mm -hmm. week, there's three, four different acquisition or funding that's announced from 15 million, which is not a lot in this space, but is a good investment for that type of company where they are to the smart recruiters and the Pandologic getting Brinks trucks backed up with cash to acquire. There is a lot in this space. And I know we have TA tech vendors and T um companies that listen to this and I'm like keep going guys because there is money for you out there and the one advice that I have because I am a practitioner is make your tool implementation as easy as possible because I'm hearing from every recruitment team yes I would love that tool I yes I have the budget but I can't risk fucking anything up right now in my process I don't have the bandwidth to be able if I implement your tool and it's not good or I'm having difficulties I will get a lot of pressure from my CEO from my CHRO my VP mm -hmm. of, of HR so do consider that but another great episode Shelly thank you Serge that that was great thanks for sharing your experience of travel to the U.S. You're a brave man. And then I, I wouldn't say I'm brave at all. Stupid. I think there's <laughs> I'm stupid. Exactly. I am stupid. I think that's the perfect. Oh, no. Listen, Serge, thanks so much. Another great episode, as you say, and look forward to another episode coming up soon. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. 
Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.